Discover the pulse of AI and data at the Data Circuit Fireside Chat. Join us in unraveling technology's untold stories. Experience insights, journeys, breakthroughs, where every conversation sparks innovation, illuminating pathways in AI and data, one story at a time. Very warm welcome to each and every one of you for joining us today for the Data Circuit Fireside Chat. Uh, my name is Abayomi, your host uh, for this exciting series. Uh, we're going to delve into the ever-evolving world of artificial intelligence and data. Uh, we're here to uncover stories, share wisdom, spark conversations that illuminate the pathways of technology and innovation in our world today. Today, we are not just attendees or speakers. We are explorers and storytellers. We are going to be sharing stories that we've gathered from our work experience. And we're gathered here in this digital environment to share our experiences, our challenges, and triumphs. Whether you're a seasoned professional, a curious learner, or somewhere in between, our sessions are designed to inspire, to inform, and ignite a passion for the incredible potential of artificial intelligence and data. So I'll say get comfortable, bring your questions forward, and let's go on this journey together. Let's discover together. And a final welcome to the Data Circuit Fireside Chat. Today, we have two guests amongst us. We have one of them, Joseph Akonde, who you could see on the screen. The second guest, Alexander, is going to join us in a few minutes and we're going to carry on. So Joseph, thank you so much for joining us. So happy for you to be here. We haven't spoken in a very long time. As a matter of fact, we worked together for about four years, many years ago. I'm so happy to see you. And thanks again for accepting the invite to become part of this Fairside Chat. So Joseph, I'm going to pass the mic on to you in a, in a bit, <clears throat> but I would introduce myself to the attendees who haven't met me before on the last episode we had. My name is Abayomi. I am an enterprise solutions architect based in the United Kingdom. And basically what I do is I architect and I design blueprints of artificial intelligence and data systems for sub-global companies in the UK. I've been doing this now for the past 15 years. In my previous life, I was a software engineer. I was once a data consultant with some of the top fours. And now I am just here doing what I love best, talking about data, talking about AI, in a bit to help the next generation of AI and data professionals to find the right path into AI and data. So it's a pleasure to meet every one of you. Thanks again for joining. And we're live talking about artificial intelligence and data. Joseph, welcome. Do you mind just telling us about yourself, your experiences? We, we would very much like to hear about you. Thanks a lot, Tavami. Thank you for inviting me. It's really nice also. It's always quite nice as well to be able to share your story as well. Please, I talk a lot, so in case that I'm talking too much, please stop me. Stop me. <laughs> I don't know. How many minutes do I have? <laughs> oh, hey, the, the mic is your oyster, man. Yeah, feel free. <laughs> okay. My Jos my name is Joseph. Everybody seems to call me Puka. Puka is a childhood nickname I've grown up with. Um, so if you see Puka as well, it's the same person, yes. My career, I started out as a software developer as well back in 2009. I was uh, writing programs for payment platforms or so HR. We were creating like a, a payment system, a HR system, and generally anything. We, we had big clients anyway, which were generally banks and anything that they wanted to automate, we were helping them automate it. And I did this for three years and I wanted to study a bit. So I, I moved to Manchester in the UK 
when I studied advanced computer science, but I focused on this course I took in particular, it was to see how relational database management systems work. And that I found really interesting. I thought that, oh, this is really cool to learn how to do. They really talked about in the back because you know how SQL is more like a language where you, you more like you tell it, uh, you just tell it the outcome of what you want and then you don't know what is actually doing at the back. But I went to learn like what happens behind the scenes. I moved back to Nigeria to early 2014 and I interviewed for a company then called Conga.com. My interviewer was two people. One was G Matfor and Tops. And I actually applied to be a software developer. Actually, uh, yeah, I got connected to the company by another uh, very good friend of mine called Chris Akonde. Uh, um, during the interview, I applied to be a software developer. During the interview, Tox then, who later went on to become my mentor, he told me back then to say, oh, I see that you applied for a software dev role, but actually we have a role right now in data. Would you like to come into data? You know, back then, it was, I wasn't really thinking me. This was early 2014. I really know what is in data, what sells in data, who is doing data, what is it about? He had just resigned his role in Google that time, and he also moved back to Nigeria, and he, he kept saying things like that data is going to be big in the future, data is going to be going to sell a lot or he feels as if he's looking for a team that really want to dive into this data space with him another thing he did for me was that really convinced me he sent me an article and uh, i'm not sure if maybe i won't go too much into the article right now but i can talk about it later anyway but the article was about how a company was using ai and machine learning to understand the kind of customers that were coming to it they even had the uh, maybe i should just say talk about the article Anyway, what happened was that there was this teenage girl who, uh, it was the company called Targets. I can send the article after here, after this, uh, I put it on the chat. Maybe anybody who wants to take a look at it and can read it. This was years ago, but they had this article, uh, they had this um, uh, metrics at the back to determine what kind of customers were coming to the platform. And they had sent to a family that baby products, baby shoes, baby clothes, and the father came, went into the store. He was so upset in the Target store. He was asking for the manager. He was cursing. He was saying like, my daughter is in high school. Why are you sending her baby products? Are you trying to push her to become, to get pregnant or things like that? The manager abd apologized, apologized, gave him some coupon codes. And a few days later, the manager called again to say, hey, I'm truly sorry. It was not. And he, then the father apologized to say, okay, actually there were some things I was not aware about. But when they started diving deep into the kind of things that they would sh the customers were buying, they weren't even buying baby products. They were buying lotion, uh, bigger lotions without scent, or based on their buying patterns, they could already estimate to say, okay, this person is likely pregnant. And this is the stage in their pregnancy. They're likely to be due in August, in September, in four months and all of that. And it blew my mind. I thought, wow, data is so big. So from data, you can get to do this. Tox also told me that time about the kind of projects they were doing in Google with maps and Google search there. Big data, it wasn't really a thing for me. I didn't know about it at that time. Anyway, so he put me into a team, into a data team. And that's where I met Abayami as well. Abayami was the first head of the team. Uh, and at the beginning, we were data analysts. So we, work as, we worked as data analysts. We were building out dashboards for the different units in the company until we felt that we had... We had come to a place where we thought that we couldn't be running off the transactional databases anymore. We needed to move up or scale up in some kind of way. 
And then we talked about it a lot. And that's when we decided, okay, let's build the data warehouse. At this time, we were really confused about many things. We weren't really sure how it would work. I remember Miami then was, um, remember Yomi was, he was looking up Redshift. We were looking up different other platforms. I think Redshift was actually what we had settled for to say we were going with Redshift until the company then told us like, hey, we bought SAP HANA. And we see that it has data warehousing capabilities. You want to look into it. And we decided, okay, let's take a look at this. And that's when I went into data engineering properly. And I started learning what data engineering was. I started reading and researching. And I thought, okay, wow, this is my niche. This is me. I found myself. This is where I want to be. It was really nice. It was a lot more back-ended than being a data analyst. In a data analyst, you had to stand in front of people and present findings uh, and insights. But but data engineering was a bit more back-ended. And I used to be very shy. So I thought, oh, maybe this is my niche. I really liked it, actually, being a data engineer. And we built out a nice, successful data warehouse. We thought that was it all about data engineering. You build a nice data warehouse that all of the stakeholders can come and re- take data from. And we said, okay, let's try our hands at data science. And <laughs> we failed badly for many reasons at all the projects that we did. And it was for multiple reasons we failed at it. But we did try a bit at like machine learning models. We tried to create... We thought we didn't properly research and I feel like we weren't also properly educated, I will say. We just assumed that we had the technical know-hows and people had done it before, let's just do it. We didn't really see what the impact will cause to the company. Now, our idea, first of all, was to do two things. Use NLP because we had the kind of marketplace that Amazon has, whereby different merchants can create different stores. But we wanted to be able to connect the different products. So one customer can actually have an iPhone on their platform and say, this is iPhone 14, and you'll put some details in this description. Another customer might just write iPhone 14, no description. We wanted to be able to um, combine or at least connect similar products together. So we started trying our hands at NLP to understand what are the words that people are using. This was maybe 2015, 2016. All of these large language models, we didn't really know about it that time. They were not so, we did research as much as we could anyway. And back then, there were not so many NLP um, programs out there. We were trying to build it from scratch on our own. And yeah, obviously, as I said, it didn't work out uh, properly. We also tried to do, okay, maybe if we couldn't do text, then let's do image recognition. We take an image and we try to match it. And then we found TensorFlow. We started to read about deep learning and we started to go into it. But at the end, the project became too expensive, storing a lot of pictures and the company had to cut it down. But this is how I came into this data space. And it's one of the key things I also want to iterate on today. You need to find very good mentors. Tokes has gone on to become one of my mentors in this data space where he's talked about He's, he's tried to guide me along the data path. And I've, I've also had good bosses along the way. And he was one of them who taught me a lot about architecture and design presentation as well. So you need to have good mentors. And these mentors guided me into this space. So I haven't, I didn't know about data engineering. I just knew I liked databases. I knew I liked SQL. I started learning how to program in Python. But I didn't know that data engineering was a thing. I didn't even have the foresight to see that data will be so big in the future as it is right now. All I heard was just from this guy telling me data is going to be the future. Trust me, (laughs) all of that. But I had no idea. And that's what brought me into this data space. And of course, life has exploded from there. I got recruited in Europe. I got a job in Zalando. uh, And then I got a job with uh, Klarna. It's a big fintech company in Europe. And Klarna, they, they moved me from Nigeria 
to Sweden, where I joined them. I helped them migrate out of on-prem servers into the cloud. Then they put me in the financial data warehousing team. We started building a lot of financial projects. So it, it wasn't all about just building pipelines, but it was also building about building a lot of like data products as well, or automating how data flows around within different systems. And it has really exploded. It's so big now. It's such a big field now that you can't even know everything about the entire field, what the data space is. And it's still exploding. It's still growing very big. But yeah, that is my short story of how at least I came into this data space. <laughs> to be honest, Joseph, your story isn't short. <laughs> you, you've tried so hard to summarize it as much as possible. And I, and I appreciate that. But you have a very deep story to tell. I, listening to you, you have a very deep story to tell. You've caught across so many facets in, in life, in, in the technology space. You wanted to become a software engineer. I remember back then because you were still interacting deeply with the software engineering team yeah. back then when you joined Conquer. <laughs> yes, yes. And it was, it was there. Yeah, and you have a deep story to tell. But I'll come back to that. Alex, thanks for joining us. So happy to finally meet you. So glad that you could join us and be a guest on the Data Circuit platform. This is Joseph. He's already started. I'm going to put you on the spot, Alex, right now. If you don't mind just telling us about yourself, introduce yourself to the audience. Let's know who is Alex, really. Yeah, so um, I'm Alexander. I am a data scientist with a law firm here in the United States in Kansas City. So like right in the middle. My journey into data is a complicated one. I was in school. I was 18. I was young. I did not know what I wanted to do, but I was in school like a lot of people do. And I just started taking statistics classes as a part of my my college program at the time. And I was originally an engineering student. I didn't like the engineering. I didn't like anything else in school. And then I eventually wound up changing my major to math and statistics. And I started doing that. And I eventually, it was time for me to get an internship before to see if I really actually like like this stuff. And I got an internship at a uh, utility here, a, a power company here in the United States. And I was working with the data scientist for the first time, because at that point, I thought I only liked statistics, working with numbers, making predictions on stuff. But he showed me that you could run these statistical learning algorithms or machine learning algorithms that you could predict things like sports or power outages based on all these different random factors. And I just thought that was the the coolest thing at the time. And I did a lot of data visualizations, Power BI kind of stuff, business intelligence stuff. Um, and so then I went to try and get a job after I finished school. I did not find a data science job because they're very hard to get. I kept finding that you couldn't get a job in data science without already having experience in data science. So I kept running into that problem. And so I eventually took a job at an insurance company as a data analyst, essentially. I was doing some actuarial work. It's a tough word to say. Um, like setting the rates and the prices for what we were charging customers. But I was also doing um, statistical analyses on the side for other stuff we had for claims, sales, metrics, pricing analysis, all this sort of different stuff. And I kept thinking to myself, man, I really want to do data science. I want to get into do like more machine learning. And at the time I was the only analyst at the company. So I didn't have a data scientist mentor at the time. All I would do, I would just read things online. And eventually I got to a point in there a couple of years, I really wanted to get into data science. And my boss at the time, who's a great boss, he said, you need to either go into get your actuarial license, which is nine or 10 specific exams 
or you could go back to school and get your master's and try and get in, like use that degree for whatever you, you want to do with it. So I decided I wanted to go back to school full time, but I also did not want to quit working full time. So I just decided for a couple of years, I was just going to bite the bullet and uh, go back to school full time uh, at night remotely and working full time. So I did that for a few years. And so I kept applying for data science jobs. I wasn't getting them, but I didn't let that stop me. And so what I decided to do was because I kept doing the same thing, but nothing was working. So I decided to start applying, trying to find ways in my current job that I could uh, get some data science experience. So I started building some machine learning models, started doing some more cluster analyses to try and just give myself some resume bullet points to, to explain to future employers that, hey, I can do this stuff. I just haven't had the data scientist title yet. And that started to work. I started to gain some tractions. I started to get some interviews, but they really wanted to see something more concrete. And so I, I just kept getting passed over because they wanted some more experience. And then I decided I was just going to do a project on my own outside of any sort of work, any sort of work, any school that I could present to employers in the meeting to say, hey, look at what I did. It's a very nice write-up. And so I decided to just use machine learning algorithms to predict the scores of basketball games. And I wrote up a nice report in R Markdown at the time, printed it off, and I'm going to bring it to employers when I would get interviews. And um, eventually, I got my first data science job, which I'm still at today in 2020, right before the pandemic started. So I was, this was a three-year process for me to try and break into data science, but I didn't let that beat me. And I was still going to school full-time. I, I told myself I didn't want to wait till I was done to keep trying. Then eventually a place hired me. And then the whole world shut down. The entire dynamic of the team we started, because it was a brand new data science team at a law firm in the United States, which is pretty rare. Um, so we went, so we started working remote. We didn't have any, we didn't have a data warehouse. We didn't have any data engineers. We just started off with just two data scientists, me and a senior data scientist who is now a senior manager of the data science team here at the law firm I work at. And at the time, I thought data science was just all machine learning all the time because that's all the content I would see personally on LinkedIn or articles on of other sites. But my boss taught me that it's a lot more than that. You have to be able to do more than just machine learning. So he would throw me into these projects, web scraping or building some databases and just really just being all over the place. So more of a generalist than more of a specialist because that's what we needed at the time. So we've done projects with lawyers on antitrust lawsuits, uh, web scraping, competitor data. Like we've done some machine learning, some statistical analyses, and then we've done internal projects. And right now we are heavily into um, the generative AI space. So we use a lot of open AI, a lot of just generative AI in general to solve problems. So like we have paralegals that have to uh, extract all this text out of these PDFs. They have to manually open these PDFs and then type out all this data into an Excel spreadsheet and, ju and just do this over and over again. And they came to us and asked us if we could help them. And so we, we started doing that. Um, and a significant challenge at the time was we had a project very similar to that at the beginning when we first got there, but we didn't have any trust built up. And so we, I manually tagged, I think like 10,000 documents over a month span to try and build a data set for us to do this. This was before OpenAI and ChatGPT and all this stuff came out. And so I just 
manually typed out a tag of 10,000 documents for whatever we were looking for at the time. And then we get to the end of it and uh, the stakeholders said they didn't want us to do the project anymore. And I was just like, oh my gosh, because um, I had spent like a month doing all this stuff. Um, but I, that was just one lesson I'd learned at the time. Like sometimes you do projects and you, you might not finish. You just have to just roll on to the next one and just forget about it. Um, but yeah, we went, we got around back to that project two, two or three years later when all this opening eye stuff came out and they decided they didn't want to type things anymore. And then and another thing we've done is transcriptions for videos for paralegals who don't have to listen to some of these, um, police calls or whatever calls they have to deal with like sometimes can be traumatic so we just pass them through open ai and then we have the paralegals would just review them to make sure they're pretty close to being correct without having to actually listen to it and so that's where we're at today it's it took a long time for me to break into data science in ai but i guess i would just say yeah like finding a good boss and a good mentor is great like my boss now is tell me he's helped me a lot like i didn't know python at all when i started here and i i consider myself pretty good at it now, but just finding a good boss and a good mentor is great. Being able to just roll with whatever projects you're going to at the time. If something doesn't work, you just have to forget about it and move on. And if you're looking for a job in data science, just don't give up. Um, sometimes just do your own projects, find ways to in integrate this these techniques in your own job, and you'll probably get some success. That's That, that was my kind of long-winded story of how I wound up to where I'm at now. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting story, Alex. It's I I fully relate with your story as well because day in day out, day, every day, I meet a few people who are potential students at DataSecure who always, who are still at the same phase where they just learned a new course in data science or they just got a data science certification, and they are finding it very difficult to get a job because yeah. they don't have any experience. And mm -hmm. it just makes me wonder, so if you've gotten the certification as a data scientist, you studied for what, four months average, right? You've built some projects. What is the next thing for you to do to get the job? Your story is unique, right? You had to go the extra mile and build some projects so that when you go for interviews, you could demo the projects, which made it quite interesting. And I, and I took a note of that because it's a good advice for people who are trying to get that job as data scientists and do not have the experience. I often tell them to try get their hands dirty by doing some freelance work. Lots of freelance yeah, work yeah. after a couple of months from Upwork, from freelance, from Fiverr. Then you, you bombard your CV with all the freelance work you've done. That could help. But it's a very interesting story. And thanks again, Alex, for sharing that. I think we're going to come back to that because there's... There, I still had a call two days ago. I, so I have this 30 minute free consultation calls where anyone could just book online and share with me what, what their challenges and how we could help. Sometimes I end up linking them up with coaches who will actually coach them and help them get the job, right? And two days ago, I kid you not, someone was telling me the exact same thing. He's already done data science certification. He's currently doing his master's in data science. And in my head, I'm thinking, you're spending lots of money to get the job, but the problem is still there. Who is going to hire a newbie data scientist? Because actuarials is not, it's not a, it's not a job for newbies. Yeah. That, that pricing number crunching oof, is intense. So there, but thanks a lot for sharing the story. So 
a couple of people have sent in a few questions. I was telling Joseph earlier, currently I count 24 questions. I don't think anyone is going to post any questions now, but we will try as much as possible to answer the questions. Again, for the audience and for those who are not yet, who are not yet online, for those who are live on Facebook, this video and the audio is going to be shared on Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, YouTube, and Amazon Music, so you could always go back and, and watch it. Um, so the first question I have, which I'm going to direct to Joseph, you spoke about your mentor, how he inspired you to pursue a career in AI and data. Alex, you said the same thing. And that keyword is stuck in my head now that everyone needs a mentor because you need a mentor to take you to the next stage. I've had my mentor. I think I have about three mentors for different parts of my life, <laughs> right? <laughs> for career entrepreneurship and all. And I, I guarantee you that everyone needs a mentor. Now, Joseph, is it possible, right, that you share some of those some challenges you faced when starting out, mm. right? You had a very interesting story of how you started. You, you had a mentor, but I'm sure it wasn't all rosy. Mm. Could, if you could share with us some of those challenges that, that, you, that, that you came across. Yes, for sure, for sure. Before I start to talk about challenges, I just wanted to add on the mentor part. I think that we can't emphasize this enough. And you can see, I've never met Alexander before, never. But that he's also... He also is emphasizing the point about having mentors. You generally need people. You can't see it all by yourself. No matter how good or technical you are or great you are, you can't really see all the parts by yourself. Have somebody who has a proven track record. Don't just pick any mentor off the street. Somebody who generally has a proven track record. You might be lucky. You might have a good boss, to be honest, that might be a mentor. Unfortunately, it's possible that you might have somebody who who is a, a boss to you and is not very i've been lucky as well i've had very good bosses as i was growing up by your me and all the rest of the bosses but sometimes you might not get it try to find a mentor who is, he has a proven track record you can see that he's done something but also he's emotionally intelligent he's he's patient with you he's not trying to he's not angry at your questions because you are starting out you need you're just learning you need somebody that can actually take the questions because in the beginning i was confused now if I go to challenges, I've faced all types of challenges in my life. In fact, if I list them out, you guys, we will, we will be two hours talking about all my challenges. <laughs> so many challenges. In the, in the beginning, it was a lot of knowledge gap. I was new to this data field. I had the skill set, but I didn't really know what was expected of me. He tried to guide me. He had other responsibilities. So of course, it's not that he sat with me all the time. He tried to guide me. We were new. We were researching a lot on what to do. I was still learning. I'd never built. I, I, I could talk and I could present, but I wasn't very good at doing it with pictures. When they say build out a dashboard to show things, I, I could talk about it. I, I could explain it and everybody would understand in the room. But showing it in a picture, I struggled with that. I had to learn with that. I think one of the biggest challenges I faced in the beginning was people, with the communication with people. It was a lot of trying to do requirements, gathering. Uh, I made so many mistakes in that field. Somebody says, hey, I want A. I go and I start building A. When I go back and I present, hey, now we're done with building A. And he says, that's not what I asked for. I wanted uh, 8.5. I said, no, but that's what you said, 8.5. You said you wanted A, build it. So you go back, you start building A. That communicating with stakeholders was one of my best challenges in the beginning. Actually understanding what is actually what do these people actually require what are they saying 
they might be seeing it because some of them are not technical as you are. So they might be seeing it in different stream. You're understanding it on your own level of technicality. You feel that this is what it should be done. They can even send you an email. We would like to get this. But in their minds, they're thinking something else compared to what you are actually thinking. So I struggled a lot with, with communication. I struggled a lot with the knowledge gap because I didn't really understand. And learning, my, I have a good friend that is saying, uh, learning never goes out of vogue. You have to keep learning. Like us, I go so many, all of the time, the conferences. In the beginning, we didn't do it so much. I go so many now, so much so many times now to conferences to see what other people are doing because you might be really skilled you might have really built a solid product but maybe somebody else has built the same kind of product and they built it in a better way it's faster consumes less memory with way better efficient scales better it's always good to go and see what are other people doing research learning never goes out of work you can never say i've learned enough you can't keep learning and learning i feel like we didn't chase so much or oh, personally me let me i didn't chase so much to see what was out there in, in other fields anyway or oh, I, I was asking the wrong questions i didn't have enough business knowledge as well to see where things are going another very big mistake i made we built a lot of projects that were not valuable to the company we thought wow it's such a great project let's spend some time we go and we build something then we take it back to the company and nobody cared about it so it was a waste of time, waste of resources. We abstracted ourselves away from the group. We separated ourselves away. You need to always be in line, no matter the kind of tool you build, no matter how great it is. Even if it's a tool that is some headphones, you wear it and you just appear in Mars. If nobody's going to use it, it's absolutely useless. So there's no point how great the, the product is. And we made that mistake as well in the beginning. I hope that when people hear this, they understand as well. If you never need to build something, Always do it in line with who the stakeholders, who is going to use it, how are they going to use it. You need to understand that before you actually dive in and build a project. But so yeah, many other I, problems. I 100% agree. <laughs> yeah, I 100% agree because I've, I've been in certain situations where as the project team or the engineering team, you get so carried away with you assuming you know what the business wants. For example, you build one dashboard or one report and you're like, oh, this is really cool. It tells us about this price. Then you say, oh, you meet the marketing team or the sales team. I say, we thought about this idea to have this dashboard to show you some pricing. And you shouldn't have. We already have this information. <laughs> and what we really want is something more in-depth. And at that point, you'd be like, oh, I just wasted a couple of weeks, like two, three weeks of my time building this. And it could spell the wrong thing to the business because the business could feel that you don't have enough work on your hands and you're not, you're not adding value. You're instead doing what you want. Right. And, and that's not why you're here. And I, I fully understand. I fully understand. I, I trust me. I've been there. And I think uh, as a matter of fact, you and I have, have probably been there together. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We, we went on taking time to build something and yeah. we couldn't find any anyone within the business that could use it yes. because it didn't add value to them. Yeah. So it's an interesting challenge. Thank, thanks, thanks again for sharing that. So, yeah. So in Alex, while you were working on this interesting project, data science project, you know, which can you share a moment or a project that was really pivotal to in your career development? Yeah, so a really pivotal one outside of the one that ended up helping me land my data science job. Um, it was probably one of our first projects where we were actually working with an attorney who was um, 
dealing with a, a merger and acquisition of some massive corporations here in the United States, and they needed us to identify every competitor within a five and 10 mile radius of a given 400 locations. And initially I had no idea how, how to do that. I've never done anything like that before. All we were given was the locations of our clients' stores. And we just had to go out and figure out how to do this. And eventually it took a few weeks and we had to submit it by a certain time because it went to I wanted some government agency here to I review the transaction, but we spent two weeks just, you know, 60 hour weeks just trying to figure out how to do this. And then we ended up using like Google's API and then we had to figure out how to map them because each store had to be mapped and we had to put it into a PDF and we had to do this all programmatically. And that was probably my first wake up call as to data science is not just machine learning. It's not just, just build model, predict things. It's really a field of having to constantly learn new technologies, new ways to do things, constantly searching for ways to do, for ways to do that you get asked to do. A lot of the time it's something you've probably never done before. And you have to have that creativity to, to find things and Google things and just basically just figure it out. That's probably my biggest thing, my entire career with the firm we have now, every project feels like it's a brand new thing because we have a, it, our law firm is 900 lawyers and we do a lot of different areas. And so we're getting asked to do all these different things all the time. And so everything is brand new. So we just really having that ability to create value and find new ways to do things was probably like the biggest wake up call that I had in my career. And that was three or four months into being a data scientist who had never really programmed with Python before, but had to figure it all out. Um, so don't be afraid to Google things. Don't be afraid to ask questions. There's no such thing as a dumb question, especially if you have a good boss and a mentor who is willing to help you along. But yeah, just having the skill to figure it out is something I learned that you have to have. <laughs> you just have to have yeah. it or find it. Yeah, cool. So, so you did mention Python. Were there any other skills that you found particularly beneficial to your career development? And as I Python, yeah, learning how to speak with different stakeholders who are at different levels. And I work with a lot of attorneys, a lot of lawyers, and a lot of non-attorneys who are just staff at the firm. And you have to speak with people. It's like I, I'll talk to my team obviously much differently than I would to our CEO and our CIO and into the attorneys who are essentially the boss of everybody because they're the partners at the firm. So learning how to communicate with them and not speak in such a technical way, because a lot of the lawyers have no idea what we do. They think it, it's just a light switch. They can just flip on and off sometimes, not all of them, but there are a lot of lawyers who think like that. And so not, you don't have to over explain things to them, just communicate in a short and effective way, clear. That's just a massive thing that we've learned that we had to do. No one wants to read a two-page long report about what you did on this project. They just want to see what you did and the results. Learning how to communicate is a big thing. Yeah, I 100% agree. Joseph, do you have any other skills that you want to advise you want to learn or that you found beneficial in your career development? Yeah. 
of course, I'm going to build a lot on what uh, Alex said. In the beginning as well, we didn't really know. We tried to research about it and we saw back then we thought like data engineering was more back-ended. It was more about databases. We we're learning a lot of SQL in the beginning. And then as it started going, we started to understand, oh, okay, we see that definitely you need some more one kind of other programming language. And we, we ran and we started learning R. And in the end, we realized like, okay, this is uh, not many people are using R for data engineering. In fact, nobody's using R for data engineering unless you wanted to do it. Right. Yeah. So it was it was uh, it was useless to us as well. But I wouldn't say no knowledge is wasted. I feel like everybody right now, it, there's so many places. Alex has already said it. Feel free to Google. Free, free to ask a lot of questions. There's so many places that tell you what skills you need to learn, uh, te technical and non-technical skills. When it comes to technical skills, at the core. Really, right, of most data roles, right, is SQL and Python at the core, especially as a data engineer. You need to have these skills, SQL and Python, and maybe some version in Git. You need to know Git, definitely. Then other things can flow in, like some cloud computing and some other things, automation, Linux, batch scripting, things like that. But at the core, I think it was Python and SQL. When it comes to non-technical skills, and the biggest one is what Alex just brought up as well. It's about being able to speak to stakeholders at different levels. I feel like because of the fact that engineers were so back-ended, we, we separate ourselves from business knowledge. We don't really know what's going on in the business. We just understand the tech part and we're just waiting for somebody to say, hey, build this tech part. We don't really understand. So then that's why we bring us into a meeting. We can't really contribute to the meeting because we don't generally understand. Yeah. After the meeting, we're just waiting for some project managers to come and say, actually, guys, what they say is building A, B, C. You can't even exactly. present your work, really, to be honest. It's like, exactly. we find it difficult now for me to actually go and say, guys, this is what we actually did. Is that Because we're so back-ended. You need that business knowledge so that you can communicate with your stakeholders. They don't have the same kind of technical knowledge as you have. You need to be able to go to their level and communicate to say, okay, this is what, is this what you mean? This is what we want to build so we can do something. Now, Yomi, you also taught me something which I thought that was really nice at the beginning of my career as well. It was about that every time you get a new request, draw it out on a piece of paper. Draw how everything is going to fit together, components. Back then, I also thought it was a waste. What is this guy doing? Like, we're just wasting our time drawing. Let's build this thing. But, you know, I found it very useful to myself now because that already helps you with as if you've already started documenting. And it also helps you to be able to present in the end what you're going to do. But in terms of skills, find the niche, find where you want to be. I don't know, it could be analytics engineer, machine learning engineer, AI engineer, find it. And you can always Google, there's chat GPT, there's whatever, look up to say what are the core skills there. But based on my own career, I've seen that most data engineers, they generally need to have SQL at the core. Uh, you need to know SQL, even if in the end you're going to work with no SQL database and one programming language. The most common one now is Python, but yeah, people have yeah. Java and they can still function with Java, yes. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you, Joseph and, and Alex. It, it, how I started, I realized that for me to grow, I started off as a software engineer. I was a data engineer as well with Joseph. And I realized that for me to grow, and I'll, not for me to grow. So I'll give you a real life example. I realized that every company I worked in, every business I worked in as a data engineer or a consultant, there were always times when rather than maybe the 
business looks up to me to present a report or present a strategy, they will instead hire a senior manager who is going to do all the presentation for me. At the end of the day, I realized that if I keep going this way, I would be a data engineer or at that level for the rest of my life. So you would always, like Joseph said, you would always be the back-end person. And yes, they will say hats off to you for building an incredible data product, but you always remain at that level. And so that really triggered me to learn how to communicate with the business. And I found this trick very useful. Sometimes you don't have to speak to communicate to the business. Sometimes you just have to build a deck to communicate to the business. You don't need to be the one to present it. And it, it's been helpful for me even here in the UK because I got here new environments in the UK back in 2021. Obviously, I wasn't going to just flow right in because my experience has been outside of the United Kingdom. And I realized that for me to always maintain that communication, to, to bridge that gap of communication, I needed to build simple, high-level executive decks, PowerPoint presentations that will have summary notes and also a dashboard and numbers by the side. That way, anyone who is seeing it, be it the highly executive stakeholders or the mid, middle, mid-level stakeholders or the low-level stakeholders, they will see it and they will immediately understand it. And I started doing that every time. And so when I build architecture diagrams, I build a, a high-level architecture diagram, a low-level architecture diagram, then there's the level two or the level three architecture data flow, which only the techies will understand. And that really helped me. My advice for anyone here, just like Alex and Joseph said, communicating with stakeholders is key to your growth, right? In the AI and data field, it's very essential. And if you feel that it's very difficult to do that, go pick up a PowerPoint presentation skill and just know how to present your numbers. And that's really going to help you. Joseph, I'm going to come back to you, right? Because listening to your story, right, I, I could pick up I could pick up lots of things that really helped you in your career. But and I think this question goes to both of you, Alex and Joseph. I, I don't know who wants to go first. But what's that one thing you wish you had known when you started your career? I don't know who wants to go first. Joseph, do you want to go? Because you're smiling hard. I know. You're... <laughs> no, I'm just thinking of the question. That one thing. There's yeah, a couple of things I wish I knew, but that one thing itself. Uh, okay, since I'm already speaking, maybe I can go before you, Alex. Yeah, this is tough. One it thing. is tough. Yeah, that one thing. I had a guest last week, mm-hmm. Lisa. She was on a path to become a lawyer. But right now, she's a data scientist. She's a senior NLP pro, <laughs> right? I asked her this same question. And she, she found it difficult to respond as well. <laughs> so you're not alone. I'll give you a few seconds to, to think about, but there has to be one thing you wish you'd know. There, there are so many things I wish I'd known. I studied sociology and ended up, I ended up being a software engineer yeah. and a data engineer and now, a, and now an enterprise architect. Yeah. One thing I wish I'd known, I would have probably waited until I, got in to study computer science back in school you know that that's one one thing and it is there probably others but here over to you joseph 
one thing that's a difficult thing i had the same story as well i i, I spent five years studying computer computer engineering I, I that knowledge is useless to me to be honest right now if, <laughs> i'm not saying nobody should go if you want to go to university please do there's nothing wrong in going to university i think that earlier on within my career i would have taken a course better in how to uh, a, a course on more like requirements gathering or speaking to stakeholders i would have taken that course earlier on within my career I made a lot of mistakes along the way, but these mistakes actually made me who I am today, definitely. <clears throat> but the quest for knowledge, I feel as if that drive for knowledge, I didn't have it very early on in my career. I I was just more like, uh, um, like on a stream, just the stream was just carrying me along. Okay, oh, I see this. Okay, we're going to do this. I didn't really push myself to say, okay, what am I doing? And why am I doing what I'm doing? The why, I never really chased after it. I just chased about after the what, the how. How are we going to build this? So what are we building? How are we building it? But the why are we even building this? We spent a, I spent a lot of time on so many useless projects that I thought was really great. Me and Yomi together, <laughs> we did many useless projects. We thought were very great, but they provided no value. And I, I struggled after a while to say, what is this? What are we even doing? I had this, uh, what is the word? Imposter, imposter syndrome, right? Imposter syndrome. Yeah, imposter syndrome. Yeah, where I'm even thinking, I must be really shit because how can you go after spending one month building this nice thing, you go and you stand somewhere and you say something like, yeah, buy me something like, oh, we already have this. Actually, we don't want this. Can you do this? You feel very down and depressed. But yeah. I felt... Yeah, one thing, if it was just one thing to tell myself, really, that if I go back to seven years ago to tell myself, you know, do this one thing, it would be, of course, to tell myself to buy a cryptocurrency when it was booming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding, though. But yeah, just to tell myself, like, to say, I don't know, keep pushing, be, believe in yourself. Like Alex said as well, he did machine learning. He tried to find it. He gave up on it. I feel like some of the things as well that I was trying to push for in the end, I just, I gave up on it uh, too easily because I felt, okay, I couldn't find a job in this. You know? I was really pushed by the winds. I didn't, I, I, I really wish I had stood my ground more on things to say, okay, no, I want to focus more on this. I'm going to do this. This is what I think is. If somebody just came to me and said, oh, I heard that there's a nice data warehouse. It's called Snowflake. Back then, I would just say, okay, great. We're going to implement it. But I didn't, I didn't have this strong passion for knowledge, like I will say. Right now, I do a lot of research with things. Like I do a lot of proof of concepts. I try to measure things as they are. But before, I was just really, yeah, whatever they said, I was just going to do I don't know if yeah. I answered the question. <laughs> you tried. <laughs> uh, I tried. <laughs> you tried. <laughs> no, but, but you did a fair, you did a fair job, to, job to it. I, I, I don't know if Alex could top that up. Yeah, for me, I was thinking about it while Joseph was talking, and I just come back to the topic of freelancing. Like I just started freelancing six months ago, maybe, and I've added so many different kind of projects outside of my main job to my resume CV, and I provided real value to real people, and that's a real skill. And and it's not just for getting real world experience. It's like through Upwork, Fiverr. It's learning how to lead a project and do a project on your own. I've only done stuff by myself through Upwork and freelancing. So it's learning how to take on a project, lead it, complete it to your stakeholders liking, learning how to communicate with stakeholders. I've worked with people all over the world. So learning how to speak with people who can 
who don't speak the same kind of like the dialect or they don't speak in the same words, but you still have to try and figure out what they're trying to ask for. And so freelancing, I wish I would have started it earlier because it probably could have helped me get a job in data science quicker. So if you've done these boot camps or like online certificates, freelancing, if you just can just try and get your foot in the door and land a few freelancing jobs, you can put that in your resume and say you've provided real value to people and companies without having to actually have a job in data science or data engineering. Because there's a lot of freelancing work out there and I wish I would have discovered it earlier because it's a, a great way to get experience and meet a lot of different people. So that's that's one thing I'd say outside of trying harder in school. Yeah, freelancing, you're, you're, you're absolutely right because if you started freelancing way ahead, the barrier for entry into getting your first job would have been, wouldn't have been difficult because you could have had lots of things in your portfolio to share. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and and I, I, I fully, I fully agree with that. Thanks to you both. You, you, well, you did answer the questions and you at least shared <laughs> good answers for that. Um, a, a question just came on live. And I'm going to read out the question. What is the first step to get into the data science world for a complete novice without going via expensive college courses? The goal is to be knowledgeable, not necessarily for a career transition at this stage. I don't know who wants to take that and who wants to take the question. And I can go first if you don't mind, Alex. But yeah. there's YouTube. YouTube is one of the biggest teachers in the world right now, and it's free. There's so many, there's, in fact, if you really, if you wanted a university career, I'm sure you can even get it off YouTube. Just go to YouTube. So many free videos out there and you will gain a lot of knowledge, a lot and a lot of knowledge. I generally advise people to go through the YouTube route. Of course, there's so many videos on the same kind of topic. So look for one that has a lot of comments, has very good ratings and read that and you will definitely get knowledge about this. I feel as if, you know, we're going, the world is moving into a data phase where you can't really avoid data everybody needs to be aware of data and ai the impact on it the risks of it uh, so i think that everybody just find youtube videos watch it and you will learn definitely without going through the expenses there are many very good platforms as well that are not that expensive that will actually teach you in depth but youtube is the cheapest yeah i 100% agree with youtube 100% the structure of how this, the structure YouTube has put together is intense, but you could, like, you're right. You could actually get a career <laughs> in YouTube. Yeah. Alex, do you, do you have anything to add to that? that that's at <laughs> the top. YouTube and like everything, there's so much stuff on there and everything about data. I would, I would tell my son, if you, if he wanted to get into data, you, you don't need to go to college or university or anything. It, there's so much free stuff out there. And so I've had people from uh, my prior company reach out to me and said they're looking to make a, a, a career change into coding and asked me about this boot camp that they were looking into. And I said, that's $9,000. You don't need to spend $9,000 to learn how to, to Python. There's so many other free courses out there. I, that's what I would say. There's just really so much free stuff out there and to just find problems that you enjoy working on or to enjoy thinking about and try and apply these things to what to what you like like when i did my predicting basketball games write up 
that's what got me in the door of my job because I found a way to apply machine learning programming into something that I enjoy doing and enjoy watching and enjoyed writing it up and doing everything about it. And so it came across what I was told and my, my interview. And so there's a lot of free stuff out there and, and apply it in ways that you enjoy and that you would have fun doing. And then you can show that off to people too. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. Joseph, you you have your hand raised. So you want to add something? Yeah, I just need to echo this part again because I actually had thought about saying this as well tonight. But what he said is absolutely valid. You might not be where you want to be, right? You might be. You might have studied. I don't know data analytics, data machine learning, engineer, whatever data science, and you haven't gotten the role yet find somewhere or something maybe it's where you are right now for example let's say you work in a mcdonald's and you started machine learning find a way that you can use mcdonald's exactly like alex said just find something you enjoy doing or where you're working right now and apply it take the knowledge you gain from data science or data analysis or whatever apply it to where you currently are right now build a product out of there put it out online that already alone shows that, okay, the guy has experience working on projects beginning to end. It gives you a, you stand out a bit, even if recruiters are looking for years of experience and they can't find, they can see that actually, okay, at least he's doing something. Don't just take a course and sit back. And it was so spot on what you said as well, Alex. There's so much free stuff out there. You can learn a free stuff, but apply it to a project. Mm -hmm. Look for yeah. somewhere, look for something that you're interested in. I don't care whatever it is, politics, hopefully something not offensive anyway. But yeah, something that, you know, that at least is generally accepted in the world. Find a project like that, dive into it as much as you can, apply that knowledge you gain, do projects out of it. Look for problems they have in that field. Look for problems they have in that your current job right now. See if your newly, techni newly learned technical skills can be applied to that. And that will already make you stand out when recruiters are looking into your profile, I think. Super. That, that's really great. So another question that's that's come up, and this was, Alex, this question is for you. Can you share a particular innovative project you worked on and the biggest challenge you faced during its development? Yeah, I, I go back to that project that I had at the very beginning of um, just my career. We, we had all these paralegals extracting text out of documents and stuff and they didn't trust us so they didn't want us to work on it anymore eventually chat gpt came out the open ai transform models came out and we could use the api and do extract text out of things and that just like completely changed everything and so we've been thinking about ways to constantly apply that into what we're doing now law firms are a lot about prestige and they really care about the cool things that we're doing especially in data science because there's not much going on in in our country yet with that field so we're pretty advanced one of the coolest projects i've done is just how it's changed so i would i was asked to scrape a competitor firm's kind of website for their attorney's kind of data just to see if we ended up buying them or merging with them how they would end up fitting in with our attorneys and and you know, this has been a few times over the last few years, and I would have to call their biographies. So John Smith does this kind of trial work or whatever. And so I built a model using machine learning to try and predict what practice group that attorney would be at, at our firm, just based on all the text and stuff from uh, the competitor website. 
and it was pretty good. I, it wasn't something to write home about. Um, it was I used some black box models, and so you couldn't really understand the the predictions that came out of it. And so the leadership liked the web script, but they didn't really like the non-explanations you can get out of these things. And so recently I had another one come up and I, I did the same thing, but this time I used the OpenAI API and I asked it to classify this attorney into uh, one of our practice groups. And then I had it explain why it did what it did. And so I presented that to leadership and they were like, wow, that's really cool. Cause now they can understand why um, it did what it did. And it was just had so much more buy-in and, and attention from leadership. And I got our team more attention too. And it, it data science, it's challenging in a way because you can do a project one way, one year, and then in the next year, there are completely new methods that can really enhance or just change everything about your thought process, your work process. And that was probably really challenging at first because it didn't go over very well. And then I got asked to do it again and it went very well. So I was pretty nervous about it, but it went, I think it hit home. I don't know if I answered the question or not, but. <laughs> yeah, but well, that, that, that's a good project. From where I stand, you learned a great deal from failing fast. Yeah. And succeeding afterwards, right? Because it, it, if it took a longer time for you to fail in that particular aspect of that project, you probably wouldn't have gotten another chance to succeed. I learned this from one one mentor I worked with in the past. And he's always like, when you're going after, when you're working on a project or you're working on a new idea, fail fast as quickly as possible because you could fail 10 times within the space of three months. And on the fourth month, you succeed rather than trying to put everything you've got and keep going slow. At the end of the day, you realize you fail after five months. That's a lot of time wasted. Yeah, that, 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 that's a very interesting project. So I, I, I bet that the business was really happy with the success of that project. Yeah, good, good, glad to hear that. So Joseph, where do you draw your inspiration from in your work? And how do you really stay motivated during challenging pro projects? Mm. Motivation, to be honest, I, like I said, I, I think I said it actually, I'm not sure if I said it. I go to a lot of conferences. I go to a lot of, I'm always trying to go to, every time that I see there's a conference about something related to what I'm doing, I try to go there. And I go for two big reasons. One, of course, is networking, just to meet other people within the field. And the two, which is the biggest thing, not even to see what's the conference about, but to see what other people are doing. Because I'm always trying to look for more innovative ways. I've, I've, I've built out something, maybe a lot of Googling, a lot of talking to the guys. But I just want to see maybe what we've done could be achieved another way. Maybe these guys are doing it in a different way. So I go to a lot of conferences to help me to understand what are we doing wrong? What are we doing? How is it going uh, and, uh, for us? Have we done something wrong? Or how is it as compared to what other people are doing? And all of the time you will see it. There's a lot of people doing a lot of different things. Some is a bit more advanced than what you're doing. You're thinking, wow, we can take this knowledge. We can apply it here as well. We can. I also have this thing as well where I believe in, in acquiring a lot of knowledge. So I, I try to read as much. I'm trying to learn as much as I can uh, in this field. But I also feel in a way, I always have to stay valid in the field. And I always build off of the idea of Nokia. I'm not trying to insult the company, but at the beginning of the mobile game, Nokia was the company and all of a sudden 
they've disappeared. They've become like bottom to bottom of the list. It's like they're nowhere now. They had the market. Everybody was had a Nokia phone and they just, they disappeared. And it's the same thing with all the social media companies as well that came out before Facebook. They all just crashed and disappeared. But Facebook has been able to maintain where it is now, even with stronger competition you know, on the side. And I always feel that, okay, especially growing up in, Going back in Nigeria, growing up in Nigeria, where there's, I don't know, working population of, for example, 50 million people and there's uh, 500,000 jobs. You know that mm. you can't sit back. You, you yeah. always have to be on your toes every time that you know that my, if I lose my job today, then there's no food, there's no eating. It's a lot different, I will say, in Europe because here yeah, the government is nice. The government can take care of you for a while. There's nothing like that in Nigeria. There's nowhere to fall back to. <laughs> So yeah. I've always had this mindset at the back of my mind to say, I have to stay sharp all the time. I need to be sharp all the time. I don't want them to ever say, oh, I'm sorry. Like you become a data engineer that's old school. We're going to do away with you. We bring you some new school data engineers. I have two children. I have to feed them. So <laughs> this is really yeah. my motivation every day. I wake up and I say, I feel lazy today, but I have two children. I need to feed them. I have to stay relevant in my field. And there's new mm -hmm. tools every day. Nobody ever saw charge and nobody saw charge GPT coming and nobody saw. And I'm sure by next year, there will be something else that will blow our minds. There's new tools yeah. coming all the time. So we really have to stay on top of the game. You can't say, oh, I don't want to deal with that. If you don't deal with it, you'll be dealt out of the game. Like it happened to Nokia. Simple. Sorry to Nokia in case there's Nokia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I like what you said. If you don't deal with something now, you'll be dealt out of the game. That's a new quote. And I'm going to stick to that. <laughs> Alex, I don't know if you want to give it a shot. If there's anything yeah. to add to that. Like what he says about the new tools just coming out all the time is so relevant sometimes it makes you feel like you're you don't know enough because there's so much new stuff out there and you see all these different data scientists and data engineers doing all this different stuff than you but they're just in a different situation so they just use the tools that they have to do to do their job and it sometimes i see all these other data scientists using flask and html and javascript and i'm like i'm just doing python and statistics i, I don't it sometimes it makes you feel like you can be obsolete but i really need just want to hammer home the point of like Joseph has said earlier, the Python or the main thing that you, that you need to learn. And if you want to get into a certain field, start researching kind of tools and the techniques that a lot of that field uses. And then really just try and get familiar with some of those base ones because there's a lot of content out there about what different fields you use. Like in the United States, biotech companies use SaaS and R, but I didn't want to go into biotech. So I didn't really learn SaaS or R, even though there are some data scientists out here who use a lot of that. Learn the tools you think you, you need to learn for the field that you're really trying to get into, like the area of data science or data engineering. You don't feel the need to try and learn everything because you're not, because it's always changing yeah. all the time. Yeah. So in, 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 there are so many industries where, you know, AI and data has been practiced. Recently, I, did, I, I launched a video on YouTube just bringing together how different industries across the globe are using AI and data from manufacturing from to commerce to right now I learned how from you, Alex, I've, I've learned how law firms are using AI and data. I haven't really thought about that. I thought law firms are just, they like lots of paperwork and they like it things. Yep. So hearing that they're now using AI to be able to summarize calls and get to, it's amazing, which means the world is really changing faster than we know it. 
But for the, yeah, for the audience that's listening, because I'm sure there are people who are finance pros and marketing experts who are trying to transition into data and analytics and AI, but they don't know if it's going to be relevant to them. But one thing I'm very confident of is artificial intelligence will definitely replace some of the jobs in the future. Sometimes I use ChatGPT to be able to give me marketing analysis of certain circumstances. That is one use case of if without ChatGPT, I probably would have gotten someone on Fiverr to help me do that marketing analysis. But I could just do it, even though the data wasn't updated post-2021, I think. But at least I could get a summary of that within 30 seconds. It's incredible. Now, but for the listeners and for our audience, is there an industry outside of tech that you believe AI and data pros should be paying more attention to in today's, in today and even in the near future? So uh, what industries do we have out there that you want to advise? Anyone getting into it, artificial intelligence and data and wants to build a career should focus on that, on that industry. Alex, do you want to go? Joseph, do you want to go first? Who wants to go first? Just speaking from my experience, the field of law is rapidly changing to and all AI and, and how easily available it's becoming. I know a lot of attorneys and paralegals that we work with are definitely scared. And our leaders have said, don't be the lawyer who doesn't use AI or else you're going to get left behind because it's not going anymore. It's like the internet when... It came around. Some people thought it was just going to go away. It did not. This stuff is not going to go away. And so you should just get familiar with it. And so the field of law and art in my country, it's starting. there's starting to be more AI and data science teams building, getting built at all these different law firms. And I would, if I was anybody in that field, I would just tell them to be familiar with it. But don't, be, don't use ChatGPT to do everything. It's not always right but it can help you a lot. It's just think of it as just another tool. It's just like Google on the internet. It's just another tool that you should be familiar with and especially in that field. Nice, nice. Uh, I'll say the same. I can only speak on my own uh, experiences uh, and my background as well. AI is growing. I have to echo something that he said as well. AI is here to stay. I know a lot of people are talking about the risks and all of it. Oh, AI is being used by... Unfortunately, that's the truth about it. Some other people will use it for bad things. Uh, and that's we can't control. But it is here to stay. There's no going back from this, no matter how it's fought. So people have to accept it or and adapt to it. Now, it's true, unfortunately, as well. AI will take over some roles. But... It's quite big and it's helpful for a lot of other fields. For example, agriculture. It's like right now I have my, I have a plant at home that I'm trying to take care of. Just the, this is not a garden, just the small indoor plants. And I have this app now on my phone that is using some kind of machine learning models. It's trying to combine it. It's, it's trained on a lot of other data of plants. But every time that, it, even if it's just one leaf dies, I can just take a picture, upload it there, and it can already tell me to say, Oh, this, pro this plant is probably sick with this or this plant is getting too much sun, move it out of the way. And I feel like that can generally help with agriculture as a whole because agriculture also is never going to stop. They're still going, there still needs to be food to feed the people, right? It, it has come to the stage where that 
people are even trying to build like internet of things in farms in big farms where they have like sensors in the soils that is just streaming yeah. data out to say okay this is too dry okay turn on the pumps you water me or uh, now we have a lot of uh, weeds here we need to do something like there's a lot of fields that can benefit of ais mm. academia as well i feel like academia people are still sticking to that we have to go into a physical classroom to teach the students but all of that is changing a lot now i feel as if I never, the five years I went to university, sorry, let me not say, because I don't want anybody to take it. That, <laughs> no, university is not bad. There's nothing wrong with university. You can go to university. <laughs> but everything I learned as well, I think Alex said this as well. Definitely, there's so much free stuff. I could have learned this online. We learned on the job. I, I, anyway, I had a lot of good people around me as well who helped me, who guided me to where I am right now. But I learned on the job. I didn't have any prior knowledge to this, or maybe SQL. But I also learned it on the job. I wasn't taught that in school. So AI is here to stay and AI will be used in every field. I also, this is the first time I'm actually thinking about it, that actually, yeah, legal firms, yeah, they could definitely benefit of like chat GPT or BARD and all of these other large language models. But all the rest of the field have that somebody can say, I have five, six, these kind of symptoms. What do you think it is? And they can give you a list of things or what are the best means. They can also help you as much as you Google as well. These large language models can help you give you direct consultations with things you know you can also so the time i heard that in the u.s the writers were complaining that nobody was buying their stuff anymore because everybody was uh, using ChatGPT, and i feel bad for them of course it's true because it, the models were trained off them and it's not giving them any credit but it also helps them that their work is a lot easier right now that they can just have they can formulate a small thought in their mind put it into ChatGPT, generate the full movie or or or, 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 or article or novel or whatever they can also help people in their individual fields but it is here to stay and everybody has to embrace it somehow learn it try and use it to improve yourself in some kind of way uh, yeah i i 100 i 100% agree I don't think AI is going to go anywhere. I don't think ChatGPT is going to go anywhere. I think there's even going to be a much more better version of ChatGPT early next year. And most of that will now feed into some of the, some of the things we see in the movies where we have robots who are working on their own, doing things on their own, doing chores. I don't think the world is far from it because yeah. I've had several conversations with so, so many experts in this field. And the ideas they keep talking about, they keep speaking up on a day-to-day -day basis. It's like in the movies where you had, I don't know if you watched the um, Will Smith movie, I think it's called iRobot back then. Yep. I don't think we are far away from that kind of instance. <laughs> so I, I think that the, the world just has to be prepared because we are feeding the computers with so much information, giving them so much power. And when you give any object, even a human being, so much power, at some point they begin to have their own brain to do what they want at certain points in time. Now, I believe so much in robots and AI. As a matter of fact, I love the I love AI. I was just watching a movie where Clive Owen was calling AI alternative intelligence. It's intelligence filled with so much information that our brains cannot even contain and manage. So that being said, I know that everyone has to remain relevant because there's going to be a world where we have flying cars. There's going to be a world where the cars will be driving themselves. So we're already in the world where cars are driving themselves.
there's going to be a world where you wake up in the there's going to be a world where you wake up in the morning and there's probably a a system that knows your daily routine and before you're done having your bath before you're done preparing for work by the time you get out of the of the house the door opens for you you get into the car just takes you straight to work when it's time for you to get home it brings you home when it's time for you to have a bath it tells you it's time to have that lunch when your body temperature is going down it already warns you and says hey your body temperature is what it's going down you need to go stay by the heater it also basically turns on the heating i'm sure somewhere someone in the world already has a system like this in their in their multi-billion billion dollar house right but that's just being said is because the, the world is hungry for more and if the world is hungry for more who are we not to also maintain the same hunger let's even relate it to some one of my favorite artists who says dangote who is one of the richest men in the world he's actually the richest man in africa he's still looking for money so who am i not to keep looking for money <laughs> so i feel that the quest for knowledge should be insatiable yeah. in every human because if you if you remain stagnant stagnant water smells and stinks and you don't want to be there so I, we have a couple of minutes more to run out but there are two more questions and this is a very interesting topic around diversion and inclusion one of one member of the one attendee or the or member of the audience sent this question a few days ago and the question is how do you think the AI and data sectors can improve in terms of diversity and inclusion and why it's important. It's a very it's a very sensitive topic, right? I don't know who wants to take that answer. I'll leave both of you to deal with it. I guess I can start. How can they improve with diversity and inclusion? It I, I'm just wary personally of AI applicant tracking systems there in, in what they're trained on. I've seen studies of universities here that have used extremely biased data in, in, in admissions to their school, and then they've gotten in trouble for it. Um, it it's just it's a tough topic, but you really have to be very picky with the data that you're trying to use, and especially when it comes to hiring. Always keep a human in the loop and have multiple humans in the loop that don't just think the same way, don't look the same way. And so that you can all come together and, and talk about like a hiring decision or what we're going to do on a project or kind of like in any sort of like ethical dilemma. Just trying to get people in teams of just different thought processes. And um, I think is a good way to counter some of that sort of existing biases or problems in regards to barriers to entry in the data world, because it, it really comes down to the data that people have already and that's what they train models on and if it's biased towards one way it's going to produce biased output to that way mm -hmm. just always keep a human in the loop that's one of my things is i tell people for ai projects just make sure you still have humans making decisions and not yeah. just automate because that's where you can get a lot of trouble yeah, 100%. I agree with you, son. I listened to a, a speech by one of my friends long ago, maybe four years ago, five years. My name is Tony Ma. I think she works at Spotify now. But she was talking about biases in learning models. And this was the first time that I actually heard about it. And I was so interested. And I, I spoke to her afterwards and she explained it to me what they are. And I started to read about it. I started to see a lot of these models out there, a lot of big ones as well, are very biased. They're even so bad that. There are some places where, you know, the 
all these automatic opening doors, they've only been trained on set people who look in a certain way. And if you don't look in that kind of way, doors will open for you. Is the, there's a lot of biases in data right now. And somehow, I don't even blame the engineers. They just didn't know better. They were actually building a tool, but they didn't know better. They trained it, but there was the data was very biased. And I feel like everybody who's trying to go into this field, you need to ensure that the sample size of your data covers as much of the different biases that collect this so that you don't have issues like this along the way. It's like yeah. saying, for example, now I live in Sweden and in Sweden, you know, there's, there is it's stated in the news that a lot of the crime rate here is committed by foreigners, not uh, foreigners from other different countries, wherever, just not the Swedish people in general. And as soon as you start training data based on crime rate, of course, most likely, even if some Swedish person did something very bad. Some kind of prediction model will say he should be left to go because it's not really a Swedish thing to do, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of biases in data and you have to be careful with that. You have to ensure all the time that your sample data or your training data as well covers as much use cases as possible. Um, and don't do things alone. I, I, I'm interpreting what you also said, Alex, in another way, having another human in the loop. Don't build things by yourself. Have somebody else as well that, that is also quite experienced and can help you when you formulate ideas. They can actually see things to say, oh, okay, this data set, it feels as if you're only training it on men now. What about the women in the workplace? What about the whatever, that kind of thing. Ensure that there's already somebody, another person like an accountability partner that can help you as well or somebody that you're just uh, collaborating with. Even if it's a mentor, it's another friend in the field, don't work in silos. You need friends, actually, in this field. I've tried to hold on to all my friends as well so that I can always reach out to say, I have this problem. Have you guys experienced something like this? Try and have people as well around you that can help you with biases like this. But yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, yeah. So just one one last question, because I think we are right on time to wrap up. You, you, we, we've heard, I've heard, the audience has heard lots of advice from you, Joseph and Alex. That has really been tremendous. But again, there's nothing as too much advice, right? <laughs> because you take everything in. So as we wrap up, what is one piece of on, just one piece of unconventional advice you will want to give anyone who is trying to start, who is trying to take the first foot into the AI and data career field? And the advice has to be unconventional. <laughs> unconventional. <laughs> I have a lot of things anyway. I can't give one, but le let me give you my top three. One, find a mentor, definitely. Find a mentor. And it, it, I wouldn't say it isn't also for everybody. Like you might go into something that you don't really enjoy doing. You need to ensure that also it's something that you really want to do. It might not be something that you find, no matter how... You might just feel as if, oh, all the world, these are the best careers are out there. But it might it might be a great career, but it might not be the career for you. You might not really enjoy it. Find a mentor. Research about it. And if you feel as if this is something you really want to do, please don't forget, find a mentor. Two, don't lose hope. And Alex talked about this when he was introducing himself. You might have actually studied and you might not get a job in it. Don't lose hope continuous and no knowledge is wasted in the end even if that at the end you never find a job in it at least you have that knowledge as well so don't lose hope 
continue believing yourself as well. Believe that, okay, I've learned this thing. I'm going to keep applying for things. But also freelancing. Just Even if you found a job, I feel like keep doing it. Keep just going around. There's so many platforms out there. Kaggle is one of them. You can just easily find projects that people have put out for this. Do more projects. Post it on your LinkedIn profile as well. It helps you stand out all the time so that you're not just confined as well to one area. For example, if I worked in a... Right now, I uh, or let's say far back, right? In the beginning, I worked for an e-commerce company in the beginning of my career. If I just talked to only e-commerce, I was working there, then I only generally have the business knowledge of e-commerce. But it's good when you start doing a lot of freelancing, you know, look doing external projects out there. You start to understand about other businesses and how you can affect them as well or create impact in that area. So find a mentor, definitely. Don't lose hope in yourself. No matter where you work, Alex said this as well, Take the knowledge you've learned, apply it to where you currently work. Even if it's just a side project, just for yourself, whether you decide to submit to the company or not, do it. And again, have I said, he said something as well that I really liked in the beginning. Sometimes you have to let things go. Sometimes you might be in a project that, I don't know, it's not bringing value to you or bringing value to your clients, whoever you're working, your stakeholders. There's some things that you need to say, okay, maybe this is not the right thing. I need to let this go. Or this is something I need to let go. I can come back to it in the future. Don't get stuck in things that you feel as if you are just hooked somewhere. Uh, and don't work in silos. Find people. Always find people. Talk to other people. Talk to find other people in the fields. Ask them what they're doing. I do it by going to conferences. But I've also tried to keep as many friends around me as well that I can talk to. All right. I didn't say one. I said uh, 12. Which is fine. All, all has been accepted. All has been accepted. Alex, you want to give it a go? I, I think my one piece of unconventional advice would just be to really focus on your storytelling skills. Um, being able to communicate or translate what you've done into the value it has to the business, learning how to speak to your stakeholders in an effective way is probably one of the most important things in the data world. Because oftentimes we're working with people who are not as technical as us. And if you're in an interview and you can actively communicate a project you've done, the value it brought to someone else, projects you've done for work to your to an interviewer, to a potential employer, to a potential client, that's just a massive thing to learn how to do is to really be able to communicate story tell thanks so much alex uh thanks thanks a lot joseph really appreciate it this has been an amazing uh conversation for us and the audience um as we bring this today's episode of the data sacrifice side chat to a close i want to thank you alex joseph our listeners for joining us on this journey of exploration and discovery um, in the world of artificial intelligence and data. A special thanks again to our guest speakers for your invaluable insights and stories. It's been tremendous. I've learned a lot myself with some of the challenges you've gone through. I've learned a lot from some of the advices. It's been really helpful. And I hope it has been helpful to you, the audience as well. Remember, every conversation we have is a step towards understanding the vast dynamic landscape of technology. Whatever field you are, whatever sector you are in, technology is here to stay. Artificial intelligence is always going to be here. So don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. Join us next time as we continue to unravel these mysteries and celebrate their achievements in artificial intelligence and data. Until then, keep questioning, keep learning, and stay curious. Bye, everyone. Thank you for joining today's episode of the Data Circuit Fireside Chat. 
remember, every conversation we have is a step towards understanding the vast and dynamic landscape of technology. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes, and join us next time as we continue to unravel the mysteries and celebrate the achievements in AI and data. Until then, keep questioning, keep learning, and stay curious.